Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the House of Pod, a show where we pull back the curtain on the world of medicine, we answer questions about your health, and we interview great guests. I'm Joe, and I'm not a doctor. And I'm Lizzie. And I'm Kave. And we're two gastroenterologists. What's a gastroenterologist? You know, the doctors who work with your digestive system. Say what? You know, your liver, your pancreas, your intestines. Where now? Your butt, Joe. It's your butt. Oh. Welcome back to the House of Pod. I'm Kabe. I'm Lizzie. You sound so sad. I'm deflated. I'm a little deflated. Why are you deflated, Kabe? You know, I'm just so disappointed in some of the nonsense I'm seeing online. So much. And I've tried so hard to stay above it, above the internet fray. And I've done a good job since, you know, the elections, basically, back in, in November 2016. I think I've done a pretty good job. And now... I find myself confronted with the most incredible nonsense constantly, pseudoscience, garbage, all these weird conspiracy theories. And, uh, and that, my friend, segue, you ready? Is why on today's show we have Rebecca Watson. She is a, one of the internet's preeminent skeptics. She is the founder of Skeptic. It's a blog, it's great. And uh, she's gonna help us get through some of this stuff. With respect to Corona, yeah? Exactly. That was a pretty good segue, right? That was really good. Let's get to the interview because it's super interesting and it's um, worthwhile. So stay tuned. All right, welcome back to the House of Pod. We have with us today Rebecca Watson, who is a media sensation. She is the founder of the Skeptic blog. She's worked with the Skeptics Guide to the Universe. She has her own YouTube channel, which I highly recommend you guys check out and subscribe to. We'll put links on for everything. And she is the creator of uh, Quizotron, the world's preeminent comedy slash science trivia show. I love it. Uh, both Lisa and I have been on it, and we've had a ton of fun whenever we've done it. And more importantly, she has been fighting pseudoscience for over a decade now, I believe. And right now, we need her more than ever. And that's why we have her on today. We're going to talk to her about combating pseudoscience, combating misinformation online. Uh, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a, I'm a big fan. What you guys are doing is important. You're somehow putting this podcast out regularly while still saving lives <laughs> like, go on go on <laughs> colonoscopy yeah. <laughs> saving lives one colonoscopy at a time that's hey, how we're doing it they do save lives and you know shout out to all my like 50 plus uh friends get no, that they, colonoscopy nice. yeah. they do. 
Yeah. Um, we do more than colonoscopies. For <laughs> the love it's of God. just funny. Let us make some butt jokes. But you know what <laughs> this episode is about? It's about being accurate and it's oh. about telling the truth. And that's what yes. we're here to do. So um, I need your help, Rebecca. That's pretty much why okay. you're here. It's because, okay. you know, I've been pretty good since 2016, since the initial sort of chaos of the election. I've been pretty good about avoiding online confrontation. Wow. Because um, it doesn't get that far. I just, I learned very early on. Yeah. I tried. I did my best. But I learned very early on that it gets nowhere. But now it's particularly hard for me to not get involved because literal lives are at stake. It's not just, you know, someone has a different belief in a, in a politician's economic plan or whatever. It's literal lives at stake. And I have plenty of people I know on Facebook who put out stuff routinely that I'm just like, no, no, that's not true. And we'll get into arguments and they may be kind of reasonable and listening, but then that person has friends that's really far off the, the far off the end and they argue and there's so much misinformation going on and it's become such a weird time where facts, everyone has a different set of facts and that's not how facts should be is my understanding of facts. So I need your help in combating this. Can you help us? Oh, I can try. Um, speaking as someone who is terminally online and has been for a long time to the point that I have brain worms from, you know, <laughs> the amount of internet arguments I've been in over the past decade. Um, uh, one, th one point of correction in the interest of accuracy is that lives have always been on the line. Um, there's always been a real harm to pseudoscience and misinformation. It's just that usually there are, you're a few steps removed from the end result. So, um, you know, uh, the, the big example, like the closest thing that I could think of to compare what's happening right now to is the anti-vaccine community um, that, you know, I've been fighting for more than a decade. And the thing is, like, I've always known that that's extremely deadly. The idea, you know, people spreading the misinformation that vaccines cause autism. Generally, it's the MMR vaccine, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, uh, based on faulty science from Andrew Wakefield uh, and spread by people like Jenny McCarthy through people like Oprah. Um, the more this misinformation spread, the more we saw a rising body count in these outbreaks of measles around the United States and in other places where these diseases were either considered eradicated or were close to being eradicated. And that was really frustrating. <laughs> but there was still always this separation where the people spreading the misinformation could distance themselves from it. The numbers weren't bad enough. The, they didn't necessarily know people who were affected. The average listener, the average layperson, didn't know anyone who had died of measles or right. whatever. Um, so now, though, you have a lot of those same people <laughs> spreading a lot of the same type of misinformation about uh, COVID-19, and suddenly it's, it, it's a very quick turnaround. Right. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it, lives have always been on the line, but right now, um, well, it's kind of like what we talk about when we talk about flattening the curve, <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to you know, we want there to be, um, we want the deaths to be spread out over time. Mm -hmm. That's the way pseudoscience usually is. <laughs> we don't want them all globbed up together <laughs> to overwhelm us. And that's what's happening right now. Yeah. Um, right. So, but when it's all globbed up together, you see the harm of yeah. that misinformation. And, and it's, it's so much starker You're right. than other things. Isn't it just so sad that like what you're saying with the vaccine stuff that we need to know someone for it to like kind of hit home? I'm like, wasn't Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, wasn't that enough for people to like turn the tide, you know? Honestly, you're so right. That's been one of the things that has uh, been the biggest source of my own anxiety at the start of this is realizing that so many people out there just don't have empathy. They need yeah. to know someone. Right. 
Yeah, I want to definitely talk to you about empathy and how to apply some of, you know, your rabbit holes and your wormholes, your brain worms to, um, <laughs> to humanity, you know, to come out of the computer and get to humanity. But I first wanted to ask you about, you know, you're a fan of science, you know, dispelling pseudoscience, critical thinking, using facts, right? Everything that we're very interested and excited about. But how do you reconcile the things that we all love, science and medicine and truth with what will happen in the next few months. I feel like we're gonna lose no matter what, right? So there's gonna be fewer deaths because of the shelter in place, which means people are gonna say, we should have ended the shelter in place sooner, you guys are hysterical, the quarantine was for nothing, or we put our guard down and people are gonna die. And this will prove a point, or the point that we're trying to make, but no doctor and no scientist will be happy about the point that will be made. Wait, let me clarify that. Actually, they'll still take that point and they will also say, look, you see, it didn't work at all. Shelter in place didn't work at all. No matter what, no matter what, we're right. going to lose that argument. Yeah. And in fact, so this is something that I've thought a lot about in the past few months. And unfortunately, my response is a pretty nihilist one, which is uh, what Kave gets to there is it's they are constantly pushing the goalposts. Um, they are so... And I've, I've got a, actually a video that is basically about this in part. Um, it's that uh, I thought that the worst, uh, the most annoying result of all this was going to be that uh, politicians listen to the experts, they uh, do early testing and maybe quarantine where we don't have tests, and not many people die, and then we have a bunch of conservatives shouting, you know, you overreacted. And I was wrong, because <laughs> what's way more annoying <laughs> is to have them ignore the experts and 70,000 people die, and they are still saying you're overreacting. Right. Um, for those mouthpieces, and and they're not, you know, the, the loudest voices are not coming from a place of ignorance. You know, the news came out today that Governor Abbott in Texas, um, and he was recorded earlier last week um, saying that he knew that opening up the state was going to increase deaths significantly and he was still going to do it. And he said this privately while publicly saying, there might be some deaths, but it's not a big deal. Um, so. What's important to understand is that this isn't ignorance. It's not just people who don't understand that early action will prevent deaths and that will look like an overreaction. These are actors who genuinely don't care about the number of deaths. They, when, it, when you drill down, they know that it's dangerous they're going to do it anyway because it benefits their stock portfolio it, or it benefits their chances for re-election or they think it does. And once you accept that, like, unfortunately, you know, it's very hard to accept that because I don't want to believe that anybody is that horrible, but they are. And then you've got a lot of other people who also don't want to believe anybody would be that horrible. And so they won't. And so they'll believe that, oh, the governor has our best interests in mind. We should all go back to work. You well, know? the governor is thinking, you know, dead people aren't going to vote. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's terrible. It's really, it's, it's extremely frustrating, but I mean, that is something that as a science communicator, I need to learn to accept is that, you know, the, the talking heads on Fox News, for instance, you know, they're part of the problem that are, you know, they're spreading this misinformation more than anyone. And, they are spreading this misinformation from their basements, uh, you know, having groceries delivered to them and staying away from people because they know it's a serious problem, but they make money off of pretending it's not. And you're, so you're never going to convince them because they already know the facts. The people that you're reaching out to are, you know, your cousin on Facebook who, you know, uh, watched Fox News and just believed them because they were brought up to believe that talking heads are worth believing. And so that's like, I've tried to keep my eye on the prize in that respect because, um, you know, I have a lot of 
family on that I see spreading this type of misinformation. And my my goal isn't to convince uh, Sean Hannity to stop saying what he's saying. <laughs> my job is to convince my cousin to think critically about what she's hearing Sean Hannity say. Right, right. You know, Our sphere you, of influence. No, I... Well, let's drill down into some of these things that we're hearing about and that we're seeing online. The, the first thing I would say is this. Uh, this is one of the first arguments that uh, you saw online, and this is one of the ones that still pops up. Is COVID-19 being over or underdiagnosed? Yeah, so this is something, this is one of the unfortunate benefits of having family that believe this sort of thing is that I don't live in a bubble, you know? I, I wish I did <laughs> where I would, you, you would say that to me and I would just be like, what, what, <laughs> what did you, <laughs> well, right. obviously professional medical professionals are diagnosing it at the correct level <laughs> because uh. that's what they went to school for 20 years to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I saw this being passed around this idea. Um, you know, once, once the deaths started piling up, it's, I had that thought where it's like, Oh, okay, well now it's, um, people have to admit that this is a problem. How are you going to ignore all of these deaths? And when I read up on it, I'm like, Oh, this is how they are claiming that um, people somehow like doctors are, are saying, Hey, you know what? I could make more money somehow by saying that this death was a COVID-19 death, even though this guy died in a car accident, you know, he, he got hit by a semi, but we tested him. He had COVID-19. So it's a COVID-19 death. <laughs> and I, I did start to notice this early on when family members asked me because, you know, I'm the science communicator and I was just really happy and excited to be able to help. <laughs> and they asked me like, well, how many people are dying with preconditions? It seems like it's a lot. And I'm like, Oh, it is a lot. Yeah. It's like, not, it's like 98% of people have other conditions. Yeah. And they're like, well, there you go. And I'm like, Oh, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, well, well, there you go. You know, if you're if you're gonna die anyway, you're gonna die. And I'm like, oh no, no, no. preconditions are things like diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> that your family probably has. They yeah, have yeah. some of these things. Yeah. You know, they're half not impervious. Of, half of the United States has yeah. cardiovascular right. disease. And I realized, you know, and it that's why it is. It's hard, but it's actually important to have these conversations because before that a few things hadn't occurred to me. One, that they wouldn't understand what preconditions meant. Like when they hear preconditions, they're picturing someone on a ventilator already, you know, mm -hmm. who, who gets right. it and dies. Not like half of the United States walking around every day, living their best lives. Um, and number two, it's the idea that people with preconditions should die, you know, and that it's not a big deal. Right. Uh, and, right. and it's like, but no, those are people. Those are yeah people who we love and care about. And, you know, there are parents, there are children with immunocompromised systems, you know, and it's like, it was a real learning moment for me to, uh, to realize like, okay, this is the communication barrier we need to get past is to teach the general public what some scientific and you know we went through this with evolution like it's just a theory there's always going to be uh usually conservatives taking a particular scientific term and giving it its uh everyday usage and then trying to move forward based on that so same sort of thing it's just a theory people with preconditions die Etc. So one thing is like educating the public about these preconditions. Another thing is um, empathy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like these are human beings yeah. that could live another fifty years. Who cares? Yeah. They could live another day, and they should. You know. Right, right. 
Even, um, even the even the people that are older that like people they say oh they're old how long do you expect people to live like even those people they still have like you know what 10 years at least even those those ends of the extreme you know yeah and i i don't know if you guys experience this but as i i approach my 40s and my parents are getting up there and i look at my parents and my parents don't look like my grandparents looked my parents look young and healthy and they like go on runs and you know they've got their treadmill and they're like really fit and it's like they've got decades left (laughs) but just because they're 70 doesn't mean it's time for them to die yeah so to get back to your original question (laughs) about whether it's overdiagnosed or underdiagnosed yeah the first thing i thought when i saw that claim being made is like oh well we just need to see the numbers the all-cause mortality rates in new york city for instance from last march and the march before that compare them to this past march and see what we get and i went on a deep dive i really tried to find those numbers they're extremely difficult to find because of the amount of work that goes into vetting causes of death all causes of death it's difficult um so a lot of states don't make those numbers readily available to the general public which is good because you don't need a bunch of uh, you know amateur epidemiologists like me <laughs> poking around in data they don't know anything about well i was going to say why not they just don't want to be like you know come to texas we have the second lowest number of deaths in the united states like <laughs> right. is it it's just bad pr i guess like why not make that available i think it's just um to i i suspect it's something like why not make every scientific paper available before it goes through peer review mm-hmm. you know yeah. you've got a lot of data and let's make sure it's right before we put it out there. Yeah. And I think that's generally fine. And so I made a video about that. I mentioned it. I'm like, you know, so in a couple years, in a year maybe, we can look at this data and we'll be able to see, like, because, you know, it's not just how many people died of COVID-19. It's, um, you know, did... Did more people die uh, because the hospitals were overwhelmed? Did fewer people die because fewer people were driving to work every day? Did more people die because there's more domestic abuse situations? You know, it's a lot of data and a lot of ways to crunch it. And so I said, you know, we'll see in a year or two. And then two weeks later, (laughs) (laughs) New York made their data public. for this very reason, because I think, I think because so many people were right. saying, oh, they're under, they're, they're overdiagnosing COVID-19. And so the New York Times got the data and then uh, looked at the data and found, no, a shit ton more people are dying than the number of COVID-19 deaths that are on record. So, you know, compared to previous years. So right. it's much, much worse than we yeah. right. thought. It's underreported, if anything. I think that's yes. sort of, I, I, yeah, it, it's funny that like I was having this um, online discussion with somebody and it very quickly went from like, um, you know, we really appreciate you essential workers, you doctors out there working to, to, to being like, you are a shill for some sort of weird pharmaceutical <laughs> right. company. The NWO is, is somehow behind this uh, overdiagnosis and we're all going to get brain chips by Bill Gates. Like, I'm not even really exaggerating. That's kind of where that Oh, I know you're not. You know? Yeah, it's, that's, the human brain does that. They, um, I've gone through a very similar thing with uh, a lot of self-proclaimed skeptics who start out saying like, oh, a woman is also saying Bigfoot doesn't exist. You're the greatest princess that ever existed. And then it's like, oh, but you don't want men to touch you at conferences? <laughs> Feminazi, you know? It's like, like that's what people do. They, you know, they put you on a pedestal, they drag you down. It's two sides of the same coin instead of just seeing you as a human being. So with uh, Bill Gates putting chips in your brain and 5G and, you know, the bats and, and, you know, all the, what's the, what's the most, I guess, popular or, and, or the most crazy conspiracy theory with respect to Corona that you've seen or read about that you would like to, for our listeners, acknowledge and then please immediately dispel it. (laughs) God. Yeah. Can I tell you like the, um, the thing that I would, you know, ever, 
everybody is wrong about stuff sometimes. And this isn't something I was, I was wrong to say it, but I wasn't wrong. So, <laughs> but uh, back in like early February, when this was first sort of going through China, and I was seeing, I was starting to check in on the crazies on Facebook, and I was seeing a lot of fear mongering, legitimate, like usually racist, uh, anti Chinese fear mongering. Yeah, and I made a video about it where I, I, I related, and I never, I hadn't seen anyone do this up until now. But I was like, if you're scared of coronavirus. Um, you should look at the numbers for the flu. And if, if that, like, if those numbers bother you, you should get a flu shot. Because mm -hmm. I've been trying to tell people to get flu shots for the last, you know, decade. <laughs> I've been hammering at home, like, the flu kills a lot of fucking people. It's really scary. You should get your flu shot. Yeah. And, uh, Thank you for I, your service, I, by the way. Thank you. We, we appreciate I, that. <laughs> of course. I make a video about it every year. Uh, nice. I force all of my friends to get their flu shots. And so, but my point at the time was, <laughs> uh, yeah, the number of people this is killing is scary. Because it's, the, and this is killing the same number of people, but you're not scared of it. You should be scared of this. <laughs> but now um, that became a talking point for Fox News right. that comparing coronavirus to the annual flu became a talking point, but it was with the opposite meaning that I had. Like my point was like, you should be scared of both of these. <laughs> right. And Fox News is like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like that's not, a, it's just like the flu. Who cares if the flu kills 30,000 people? And I'm like, I do. Uh -oh. <laughs> Get your flu shot. Oh, yeah. you are. You are spot on. The, the whole flu argument drives me crazy. And you, you might have seen there was these two doctors out in Bakersfield and they own yes. this, this set of urgent cares down there. And they've become big talking points amongst people who are trying to downplay the COVID because they put together this press conference where they had all these crazy numbers that don't entirely make all that much sense. But the long and the short of it for our listeners who haven't um, listened yet is that they came together with this press conference. They said, look, in our facilities, what we've done is we've tested a bunch of people and they, we, we got this number. They pulled like 12%. They did this, this weird math to get to like a 12% infected figure. They, ex, they extrapolated that in some really weird way, which doesn't make sense. But even if you were just to give them the credit for that, then they sort of said, well, compared to the amount of people we tested that had it and were positive and the amount of deaths that we've seen, we think the death rate is really, really low, 0.03%, which... They're saying, you shouldn't be afraid of this. The flu is much worse. The flu is much worse. This is nothing but the flu. This is like, and now they're on like Laura Ingram show. They're on all the Fox talk shows. And it's, it's such an example of science being used badly to, yeah. to, to express a point they're clearly trying to make. It, how, did you get a chance to see that? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I did see it. It was gross. Um, it's, it's always, I was actually, I was just talking to a friend about this. Um, Susie Wiles is a, a scientist in New Zealand who has been so great at spreading good science communication about flattening the curve. She was like one of the first people to put out a graph of flattening the curve and how important it is. And I was talking to her the other day and uh, she was telling me how in New Zealand uh, they have these, these guys, you know, that are arguing that it's not a big deal and blah, blah, blah. And I was saying like, yeah, it's always annoying. And it's usually like experts, uh, but it's usually engineers. Like it's pretty much always engineers, like engineers for 9-11 truth and engineers for uh, climate change is a hoax. Um, but she was like, no, it's, it's actually like doctors or, you know, maybe not doctors, but like people who should know better. And that's like the most, that's the worst thing. That's why, you know, the anti-vaccination stuff took off is because Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who right. has since been, uh, you know, completely, he can't uh, right. practice anywhere anymore. Um, uh, but, you know, when you've got that doctor in front of your name, anything you say, uh, people are going to listen to. And so, that's what I've seen my family doing. Um, and they're just taking after Fox News, which is uh, 
you, it doesn't matter if 99% of epidemiologists say one thing, you find the one guy who is going to say the thing that you want to right. hear. Right. Right. And then you broadcast it loudly. Exactly. It's like, well, speaking of sampling bias, that's exactly the problem with that, that study yes. that these two guys <laughs> yeah. did. Yeah. It's like, they were extrapolating from people who came into their urgent care to get tested. Exactly. And they're like, oh, so that's, if we just yeah. extrapolate that to the general population and it's right. like, you numb nuts. Like, you, you, the gen no. Like, you know what it's like? You know what it's like? <laughs> it's like if you were to watch porn and be like, I'm going to estimate the, the average American male penis size based on the porn stars I see. That's how you yeah. get a weird number that yeah. does not face reality. Who gave these guys a platform? I mean, this is another problem, right? Can you just yeah. like get a microphone and call a, you know, a TV station and say, I want to say something? Like, is that, like, there's a problem. There's a fundamental problem that You're right. we should their totally voices, that. That, right, that their voices were echoed or magnified or whatever you want to say. Like, you know, that you have to question that stuff. Like you're saying critical thinking. When I see doctor and scientists, I do immediately give them the benefit of the truth. I'll say not the benefit of the, the benefit yeah. of the truth, but yeah. somehow they were able to speak and had a platform. And that's the thing that I would ask about this that I haven't looked up or I don't, I haven't seen the video myself or um, it's, the data. you know, it's money. It's money. They yeah. run these uh, urgent care clinics. They have the money to hire a PR agency, and that's honestly all you need. Yeah. Um, I, I like <laughs> the number of debunks I've had to do on mainstream quote unquote science news articles that are just press releases that have been printed with someone else's byline. When I see something that is like, this seems like a press release, I just scan and I look for the first quote because I, I actually went to school for marketing uh, and advertising. So I used to write press releases quite a bit. And you always have to have a quote from like the president of the company or something. So you just look for your first quote and look at the person who's being quoted. Like, do ooh. And who are they? Oh, well, they run an urgent care clinic in California. And, you know, right. their bottom line was who, hurt by it. Yeah, that's who bought the this this article, this press right. release. Right. Um, it, it also just happened um, with uh, the Stanford study on um, the, the COVID-19 antibody tests. Right. Um, that was a, a big news story that was on a local Bay Area uh, news site. And it, I read it, like a friend sent it to me. She's like, oh, look at this. Maybe we had COVID-19 already because we're both anxious bitches. And it, it, wouldn't it be great if we already had it and we're immune now? And I looked at this article and it was like, oh, these Stanford researchers found, uh, they, they did these antibody tests in the Bay Area. Um, and the first quote is this guy from Stanford saying, uh, yeah, so it looks like this came to the Bay Area probably in the fall, actually, of 2019. And so, you know, and then they start talking about how the Bay Area might have herd immunity. And I actually forwarded it to um, someone else who's been on uh, Quizitron. <laughs> and uh, it turns out that the first person quoted in the article is from Stanford, but from a right-wing think tank that's associated with Stanford and actually had nothing to do with the study in question. Yeah. And when people reached out to the researchers who did the study, they said, our study in no way suggests that Corona yeah. virus was in the Bay Area in fall. Like, absolutely not. Yeah. It was really um, misleading the way it was written. I know the extremely. article talking about, about herd immunity, and it's been yes. used in co-op. Herd immunity is in the headline. Yeah, and oh. and and it, you know, it's my job to suss out bullshit. And I was like, oh shit, yeah, because it was something Denver, I wanted right. to believe. Right, people you know? will pay for the you know pay for the name. And they'll believe it once you say Stanford, even if it's like the janitor, you know, yeah. like, oh, I'm a Stanford janitor and you just have a badge and you like. And you that's know, like, you know, th that's really on the quote unquote journalists. Uh, yeah. You know, because at that point, like, I don't fault anyone reading that for because it was so misleading, like to talk about a study from Stanford and then have your first and next three quotes be from someone else quote unquote, at Stanford, but who had nothing to do with the study. Yeah. So yeah. you know what probably happened? 
I'm just guessing, a future judge presiding over my libel case. This is just my opinion. <laughs> uh, but it certainly seems like that guy that was the first quote sent out a press release. This guy who's a pro-Trump anti-quarantine uh, activist sent out a press release and got a bite. And the journalist just wrote this article without asking any real questions. But you're right. That's just poor um, journalism, I guess. Yeah. If you're not vetting your sources well enough or you're not asking two or three people about the topic, right? I mean, that's... Yeah. And that's how, that's how your pseudoscience sausage gets made. It's not... <laughs> it's not that's a great term. <laughs> it's not just a bunch of dum-dums, like, believing whatever is put in front of them. It's uh, a system that's designed to fool people into believing what is going to benefit the people who are spreading the pseudoscience, the people who are, who own the stocks, the people who want the economy to open, you know, it's, and it, it, it could, if divorced from reality, that could sound like conspiracy theory, but <laughs> It's true. You got a load of money. You want to keep it. And if you have very few morals, then yeah, you, you spread this misinformation and people gobble it up because it's what they want to believe. I mean, it's hard to not be skeptical. And it, it did. It got co-opted. This, this term, this, this uh, one thing that came out from a local news station quickly became co-opted yeah. by, well, by people on the right wing media, right wing in general, as a talking point. And, it, yeah. and, it's, and it's a dangerous one. Yeah. I mean, can you, I guess, Rebecca, then just tell for our listeners who don't know what that term means, herd immunity, like what does it mean in science for real? Because it's a legitimate term to use, but it doesn't apply to the coronavirus. Well, um, I love the question. And if it were coming from a lay person, I would answer without reservation. The fact that it's coming from doctors, I'm like, you should explain this because I'm going to fuck it up. And that's, I think, an important thing to look for in a science communicator right. is someone <laughs> who knows when they're outclassed and like yeah. has the ability to pass it along yes, um, I, to someone I, who knows better. Right. I appreciate what you're saying. <laughs> and I'm going to throw it right back in your court because right, right. now you have more, um, <laughs> you have more credibility when you do things like that. But I also know that you are an expert in communicating this stuff, you know, and I do think our listeners should hear it from someone who's processed it and regurgitated it and sucked on it a long time and we'll give it to our listeners in a way that's really palatable and delicious. And we want to judge you is why we're doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That's fair. You know what? We we were on your quiz show. Now you're on ours. Oh, no. (laughs) This is Quizzo G.I.Tron. Boom. Oh, no. (laughs) So, yeah, the idea of herd immunity, this is why I uh, encourage people to get their annual flu shot Um, The idea is that you don't necessarily need every single person to get their flu shot in order to uh, eradicate the flu or any other disease that we have a vaccine for. Um, What we need to do is to get to the point where a high enough percentage of people become immune to it that the disease can't spread and it dies out. And that is generally going to be, I mean, I might be wrong at this number, correct me if I'm wrong, but at least it's going to be like 80% of the population needs to be immune. Um, But we hope to get it up to like 90, 95% of the population. Because once you have that many people who have their vaccine, who can't catch the disease and spread it to others, now you are protecting the people who can't get a vaccine. So newborn infants, you have mm-hmm. immunocompromised people, you have um, you know, people who are going through chemotherapy. You know, there are a lot of people out there that can't get their vaccines uh, or that are going to be uh, more affected by diseases than the general population. So by everybody else protecting themselves, you are protecting uh, that percentage that can't get uh, vaccinated. So uh, part of the problem with this article arguing that maybe California had herd immunity, um, they found that something like, and I don't have it in front of me, but it, 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 the Stanford research, which by the way, the research itself 
was not peer reviewed. They didn't put out all their data. Mm -hmm. They used antibody tests that are not necessarily valid. Um, and uh, having a positive antibody test for this particular virus does not necessarily mean that you're immune to it. We hope it means that because it means that for a lot of other viruses, right. but it doesn't necessarily mean it for this. And that test found that something, it was something like 6% of the population. So you compare that to what doctors are actually talking about when they talk about herd immunity, which is yeah. like 80 to 90% of the population compared to 6%, like you're not even fucking close. No, yeah. Like, shut well, up. Well, you know? shut up. Well said, well said. Very That's, good, yeah. yeah um, so yeah, it, to reach herd immunity in 2020 would require some public health catastrophe to occur. Yeah. Because you need to have 70% or more of the American population uh, to, to become immune. And without a vaccine, that's like over 200 million Americans are going to have to get infected to reach that threshold. So it could be, it would be an awful thing. And when you talk about yeah. the antibodies and you say they need to, we don't know if they're valid. You mean they haven't been validated. We usually start studies. There's so many studies and each study, what they do is they build on other studies and they build on other studies. And we don't even have a study as far as I know that validates that. Just like you said, other yeah. coronaviruses that cause a common cold, we think that maybe they last about six months. This one, we don't even know if it's that long. So we don't know. Right. South Korea studies have made it a little more confusing with reinfections. And there's a lot of reasons why that might be. But so, yeah, well done. Well said. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> let, let, me, let me ask you this. this will, then we'll, I think we'll probably let you go because we've taken up a lot of your time. But It is Cinco de Mayo and I, I do have a margarita. Have I see make. a margarita in the background there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, I need to so, get back to that. Get back. <laughs> so, so overall, how would you say mainstream media has been doing? Have they been doing a good job covering this, a bad job, mixed bag? Oh boy. By what metric? You know, I mean, I, I have very, I have generally low standards for science communication and mainstream media. You know, for the last 20 years, newspapers have been firing their science writers and giving science news to generalists who don't understand what questions to ask. They don't understand what context to add. So I mean, they're doing what I expect, what I would expect, you know, a bunch of people who don't understand science or science reporting to do in the midst of a pandemic that's being grossly mishandled uh, by politicians who outright lie to them on a daily basis, you know. Um, so it's, you know, it's... I'm going to say bad overall. Because <laughs> so what you're saying, what I'm hearing is that shows like the house of pod and Quizotron are more important than ever. Absolutely. Right. Kaveh said, we're going to let you go, but I want to ask you one more question. Sure. If you have to go, you cannot. but um, cause I've seen you and heard you talk about lady culture. So, yeah. you know, Kaveh can take his earphones off and go pee standing up somewhere. But we're going to talk about menstruation for a bit. <laughs> well, that's what you've said, right? That you suck at like being a lady. You can't keep track of your period. I do. I'm the worst. You suck at makeup. <laughs> um, and I relate to some of those things. You know, I was a D1 athlete. Like I'm the athlete at the House of Pod. Kaveh knows it. He says lacrosse isn't a real sport, but it totally was. Oh, uh, lacrosse is fucking hardcore. Are you kidding, Kaveh? Hard Kaveh. Kaveh, you would die. <laughs> Literally die and i would join fox news and saying you know what he had it coming <laughs> he had a precondition of hating lacrosse yeah, that's that was a pre-existing condition <laughs> exactly. so more importantly um one thing that you have been very vocal about is your love of video games i'm sure yeah. people during this quarantine are playing a ton of video games i'm sure there's a lot of porn going on too but we're not going to talk too much about the porn thing yeah the lizard's <laughs> like i Bet there's. I mean, maybe it? I don't know. What I don't know anything about that. But... <laughs> I, I read this thing on Twitter about people having sex on TV. So, um, anyway, so and and we've talked a lot on the show tonight about um, empathy, you know, yeah. and and how video games actually, you know, helped you develop this 
empathy for people and also like a great way to deal with frustration. You know, let's go murder some bitches and hoes on this video <laughs> game. Like, yeah. So how do you right now, what would you tell to our listeners as far as this quarantine being holed up? We don't have to talk about porn, but like, <laughs> how can we do you use video games as an escape? Is it a great way to connect to people? Is it, is it both? Cause those two things sound kind of polar opposites to me. You know, you know what? I have a, a really good friend of mine who lives not too far from me, but I haven't seen her since this whole thing started, you know, two months ago. And we normally get together uh, over wine. Um, and we realize like, she was being very quiet on a group chat we're in and uh, even like we did a zoom, you know, and she was really quiet the whole time. So I texted her and I was just like, Hey man, you doing all right? She's like, yeah, just, you know, I don't, I just don't get a lot of the social stuff from zooms and texts. And I really miss a lot of that stuff. And I was like, you know what? I get it. Like I'm the same way. I don't get the same dopamine hit from doing a zoom as I do as of just hanging out with friends and uh, she texted me the other day and she was like, hey, I'm going to hop on Overwatch. Do you want to get on? And I was like, oh, yeah. So Overwatch is a, it's a first person shooter where you're, you're on teams of six, six v six. And so we, we get on and uh, we get on voice chat together. And that's when we started actually talking and catching up. Like I would never call her. She would never call me. We would be disgusted by the mere idea of calling each other. <laughs> but we will totally hop on this game together and murder teenage boys <laughs> <laughs> while catching up on, on what we're each doing, you know? And I, I, I think that's true of a lot of people, especially a lot of younger people, you know, use Fortnite and things like that for that purpose. So that is one thing to do it's just nice to have something to do while you talk to each other yeah um but yeah like video games uh i make the argument that they're like any other media like like film or books um and i i actually made a a, a video about this a youtube video about this recently um where i argue that the more deep media you consume, I think the more empathetic you are. And by deep, I mean things that put you into another person's mind and force you to consider how things affect them. So, you know, a lot of video games are stupid garbage, including Overwatch, which I play. <laughs> but there are games like Gone Home, where you are put into the persona of, a, you know, a, a girl who's come home from college and is learning more about her teenage sister, you know? And I think the more things that we can consume like that, the more literature, the more film, the more video games we do, yeah. the more empathetic we get and the more we can put ourselves into the shoes of others and the better humanity gets. So I'm still playing Leisure Suit Larry, so I haven't got <laughs> to these other games that you're on right now. Yeah, well, it's important to inhabit the game. body of a horny white man in the 80s. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. We need yeah. we need more empathy right now for what's going on and trying to figure out how to connect during quarantine. So that I think is a great way to finish. So if you could send us links for your flu shot commercial, which would be awesome <laughs> sure. for how to connect to deeper media and also your video that you said is coming out soon about how science and medicine can potentially win or maybe just not lose during, <laughs> during the pandemic. That would be great. Uh, it'd be my pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. You're just awesome. And Aww, I'm you guys so, are too. And we're just glad you exist and you're <laughs> online. So thank you. For, yeah. Thank you for that. And thank you for doing what you do. Um, please let people know where they can find you. Sure. Uh, you can find me uh, at skeptic.org is my website where I blog with a bunch of other mostly women uh critical thinkers. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Rebecca Watson. And since we've mentioned video games, I also play video games pretty much every weekday uh, at uh, Rebecca Versus on Twitch. 
So that's twitch.tv. Very cool. And we'll put links to some of these YouTube videos. Your YouTube channel is great. Working with us. Thank you. Your name, Rebecca Watson. I think it's just my name. I don't know. I'm terrible. All right. We'll put a link. We'll put a link to it. I studied advertising. I don't know what my (laughs) YouTube is. You're like, I don't even know how to spell my name. I don't don't know my primary income. (laughs) Oh, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Rebecca. There we go. That's the important one. Okay. Thank you. Please check her out. Um, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, guys. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Trust me, I know when I suck. Trust, I'll tell you when I'm good. Uh, no, <laughs> that's you. true. That is true. He will tell you when he's The opinions on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific healthcare and or medical needs or concerns. All anecdotes and patient-related details have been changed with respect to date, sex, and certain details so that patient identification is not possible. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.